Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. The title of today's message, as you're going to see in Revelation chapter 6, is when God gives you what you want, but peace without truth will not last. And you see the whole world is on fire, and you see all these issues going on, particularly in the Middle East, but even here nationwide, of all kinds of issues going on. And people just cry out for harmony, peace, peace and security. You'll hear the politicians talk like this all the time. They actually are quoting the Apostle Paul and don't even realize it from Second Thessalonians, peace and security. And you think about this, uh, just to give you some examples of some hot-button issues going on today that people are calling for peace, think about this. The U.K. thinks that the way to peace in the U.K. is to keep Franklin Graham out of the U.K. Have you heard the reports? They're thinking about banning Franklin Graham of entering into the U.K. I think he has a speaking engagement or something going on or maybe a crusade or whatnot. And the U.K. people in Parliament want him to not come into their country. And do you know why? Because his intolerant speech, they call it, against the LGBT movement and against Islam. He's called Islam a evil religion. Well, I agree with him. It is an evil religion. Let's just say the truth. And because Franklin Graham says the truth, that the LGBT movement, and understand when he talks about it, or I talk about it, or a Christian uh, leader talks about the LGBT movement, we're not talking about individual gay and lesbian people. We want them to get out of that lifestyle and set them free by Jesus Christ, no doubt about that, and we offer help many times in that regard. But when we say the LGBT movement, we're talking about the fascist movement that is a political entity that is shoving this down our throats. That's what we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. And that's what he's referring to. And I've even talked to Philip Lee about this, that some of even the gay and lesbian people don't even agree with what the LGBT movement is doing because they are off the chain. They are militant. They go nuts and they're hostile. That's what Franklin Graham was talking about and saying, hey, that's got to stop, man. They're intolerant towards other people that disagree with them. And yet, because he makes those comments against Islam or against the LGBT movement, they're going to ban him from the UK. Wow. And think about this. You probably saw this last few weeks. Trump made his proclamation that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. Well, you and I are like, no, duh. I get that, right? Yeah. He's the first sitting president to ever visit the Western Wall. Did you know that? First sitting president to ever do that. And so he's made some remarkable moves, and they're thinking about moving our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because he recognizes it as the capital. Now, here's the deal. No one had enough guts to say it politically because it's such a hotbed issue. But you and I are sitting here as Christians. Yeah, yeah, since King David took Jerusalem in about 1,000 B.C., yeah, for the last 3,000 years, it's been their capital. No, duh. But on a political level, you just simply can't say that in the climate that we're in, the, the political climate that we're in with Islam and all these political factions that absolutely cannot stand Israel. And you think about this. They want peace in the Middle East. So Trump makes a declaration of, hey, 
Israel's capital is Jerusalem. And then look what happens with the people they're trying to have peace with next door to them. Look as the Palestinians go nuts over this. They just, Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine. Stop Trump. And we got, uh, there's a number of things. Look, look how crazy they went. Again, showing that they're so uncivilized because of Islam, they cannot do a deal of peace or cannot accept historically that Israel is their capital. Look at all these pictures. They're burning Trump in pictures and uh, Al-Quds. They call uh, Jerusalem Al-Quds. That's the Islamic name for it. So you look at what's happening. And then in the U.N., did you see what happened in the U.N. over what Trump said? They go nuts. They can't believe. So the U.N. General Assembly decides to have a vote. And the vote ended up 128 in favor against what Trump said about Jerusalem being the capital. And then you have a nine against and 35 abstained from the vote. But look at that. That's the future of the world. That's the global government right there. And look what they're in favor of uh, going against saying that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. Even the Pope came out and threw his two cents in, which is not worth anything, and got against what Trump said. It's like, here's the deal. Trump's not some spiritual giant, and you know that. But you know what? I got to give him credit. He, by saying that, is supporting the Abrahamic covenant And God has said, my foreign policy with any Gentile is I will bless you who blesses Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. Our country, because of what Trump was doing, is actually going to reap blessing over that, being friendly to Israel and doing that, even in an unsaved state. But yet the world says, that's causing division, that's causing peace to elude us in the Middle East. How can you have peace when you don't have the truth about Israel? Historically, that's their capital. All you have to do is turn a spade of the archaeological sites, and all you'll find is Israeli stuff. That's all that's there under the ground, Israeli sites. How do you ignore that? Well, you don't go with the truth. And then let's just take the religious element out. God has declared that just because we're dealing with people that don't accept the Bible. How about just simply on a legal level about Israel, that they have the right to exist, that that's their land? You go back to the Balfour Declaration and the League of Nations, which turned into the UN, stated it's theirs. We're giving it to them. It is not the Jordanian Arabs called the Palestinians. That term only came in 1967. It is the Jews. It's their homeland. We need to leave them alone and let them have that. But they won't go by the legal course. And then you have the military course of saying, well, they, they survived 1948. They survived the Six-Day War in 67, Yom Kippur in 1973. It's their land. But no, our world will not recognize that. And so what's the point? The point is you're never going to have peace when you subtract the truth from the situation. If the truth is not undergirding it, you're going to have disharmony. And that's what's going on in the world. That's why they're going crazy, because the world is not dealing with truth anymore. They're dealing with political objectives, and they don't care if the truth is there. It doesn't matter anymore. That's the game that's being played on the world scene, but also on the national scene here in America. Well, let's bring this home, because the principle I'm working with is just simply from two scriptures that we're going to see today. 
And I want you to understand the principle because it's going to apply to us even when we look at it from a geopolitical level. In your own family, in your own marriages, in your own circle that you're in, the same rules apply that you're seeing with Israel, that you're seeing on a national level, with the LGBT movement, with Franklin Graham, all that can be seen on your family level. When families, when marriages, when relationships do not include the truth, you're going to have disharmony. And that's why you're seeing so much dysfunction in families, in marriages, because one or both of the people are not in the realm of truth. They are dealing in lies. They are covering things up. They are whitewashing it. They are pretending it doesn't exist. And the elephant is flat out in the room and no one is saying anything. So they pretend it's not there. And this is destroying their relationships. This elusive search for happiness that our world wants, what they're really looking for is shalom, peace. Shalom in the Bible means harmony, and it first means harmony with God between you and God. And the second part of it is shalom with people around us. You have to have harmony with God in order to have harmony with other people. That's how it works. That's how the game is played, so to speak, spiritually. So what people are really looking for is not so much happiness. They're looking for shalom. They're looking for harmony between relationships, harmony between their parents, harmony between their siblings, harmony with their kids, and they can't find it. And one of the main reasons they can't find the shalom is first off, they don't want to do what God tells them to do, but second, they won't deal in truth. They simply won't deal with that. I don't know if it's just too hard, it's too painful, I don't know. They have to call it out, they're afraid of losing a relationship if they call things out, but they're afraid to deal with the truth. But my friends, you will not find shalom, you will not find this peace that you've been looking for, this harmony, until you flat out deal with the truth, not only with others, but with yourself. You've got to start being honest with yourself. Quit playing games with yourself. Quit acting like everything's okay. You know good and well what's going on, and you have to address it. That's what we're going to see in Scripture. But follow me now to a geopolitical level, because I'm going to move from a geopolitical level to an individual level. So let's go back to the geopolitical level. Everybody in this world wants, we want world peace, and they wear their tie-dye shirts and their peace symbol, which is an upside-down cross, by the way. Have you noticed that? The peace symbol is an upside-down cross, broken. Anyway, they want this world peace, and here's the way they're going to get it. We need to tolerate what everyone's doing. If you want to marry a horse, we're going to tolerate that. We'll make you a stall. And you can have you and your horse marriage. I recently saw on YouTube. I don't know how I was seeing this. I, I don't know where I was at, but it was plain. It was looping. And these people, like in Latin America, were marrying trees. These people, women, were in weddings, outfits, and they were getting married to trees. That's how, I said, how stupid is that? And they were legit, man. I mean, this wasn't like a joke or they were making a funny video. No, they were legit. They were marrying themselves to creation, nothing but a bunch of pantheists. 
it's crazy. And you think, oh my goodness, what world are we in? But on this geopolitical level, everyone's wanting this peace. And here's the deal. They don't want to meet the conditions for it. Hey, they already intuitively know about the conditions. Because that's why they're getting rid of Christianity and why they want to get rid of the Bible. By the way, the European, they've seen the last days of Christianity. It's all Islam there. And they've, they've virtually kicked Christianity out, basically. But here's the deal. The Bible sets the preconditions for how do you achieve peace. On a geopolitical level, this is what has to happen. This is why we're studying the book of Revelation. Sin and evil must be eradicated. That is one of the preconditions for peace to happen. Now, you can go on an individual way through Jesus and his cross and that Jesus paid for your sins. He takes away your sins. You get forgiveness. That's how you do it on an individual level. But on a geopolitical level, how do you do that? Well, it's not becoming social justice warriors. That's not how you do it. It's through conversions of people. And if that changes the tide, so be it. But if it doesn't, it is what it is. But eventually, on a nationalistic, global level, what God is going to do is eliminate sin and evil through the tribulational judgments. That's what we're studying in the book of Revelation. He's got to get rid of it. It's got to be purged out of this planet. And the only way he's going to do it is either you get saved or finally you're going to meet judgment and unfortunately, this is what not a lot of people are prepared for. This is not the kind of Jesus they envision, but unfortunately, it's what he must do. Let me show you Isaiah 9 real quick. And again, I'm on the geopolitical level. Just track with me before we get into Revelation. Because like, i got to set the stage for the passage you're going to read because John assumes that you know this. In Isaiah 9, this is classic Christmas passage, but if you read the passage, I want you to notice something about the shalom and about what has to happen with the shalom, okay? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, talking about the God-man Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? And the government, the rule of Messiah, which will happen in the future, we call the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, when he's ruling from David's throne, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, of Harmony. Okay, so you know that's the Christmas songs and all that stuff. Of the increase of his government and Shalom, the peace, there will be no end. This is what we're all looking for. Okay? But upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, very Jewish, to order it and establish it with what? How is shalom established? And justice for that time. Forward, for even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord of armies. It's military terms. The Lord of hosts means the Lord of armies. He's bringing his armies back to invade this planet for judgment so that shalom can exist. You follow the sequence. Let me show you another passage. Isaiah 63, this is a passage that most people don't look at, even though sometimes it's there. But it's tied to Revelation 19, the second coming of Messiah. One of the preconditions is, okay, if you don't get yourself right during the tribulation when judgments are falling, then eventually you're going to meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, he's not going to be the blue-eyed Scandinavian that you have a picture of him with a lamb wrapped around his neck, and he's in this pastoral scene. That's been sold to you, but
But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. You have to have both the first coming and the second coming to balance who Jesus is. When Jesus comes back, it's not just to try to get along with everybody. Can we just all get along and it's all work things out? No, 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 no. It's number one, a rescue mission for Israel. But number two, it's a slaughter. It is a flat out slaughter. John remarks that this slaughter is so bad that the blood is as high as the horse's bridle. So you're talking about five feet worth of blood, 200 miles square in Israel. A lake of blood is created because when Messiah comes back, he melts them. All the Antichrist armies and armies that are against Messiah, he just simply melts them. And we'll be there to see this. And this is a picture of Jesus no one wants to think about. This is why churches don't talk about this. They don't preach the book of Revelation because we don't want to upset Christians. We don't want to upset people in our pews because this image of Jesus is just too radical. Really, it's the Bible. Look at Isaiah 63. Why is your apparel red? So imagine... Messiah's apparel is white, okay? But it's this, it has this red color on it. And your garment's like the one who treads the wine press. The idea is that when you get into a wine press, you start crushing grapes. The grape juice will jump all over your, your clothes and stain your clothes with grape juice. So it's showing you that Messiah's white clothes are stained with something. I have trodden the wine press alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger. I, I didn't know Jesus got angry. Yeah, he gets angry. And trampled them in my fury. Their blood, it's not my blood, it's their blood, he's saying, is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. Now, that's an image that most people don't recognize with Jesus, that his clothes, when you and I see him at the second coming, we'll watch him do battle. We'll be there. He will be bloodied up because of the war he went to and the war he fought. That's the only way to get to the world with shalom, that evil and sin must be finally dealt with in that brutal fashion because they won't stop. They keep pressing it. They keep, you know, when Jesus come back, they turn the guns on him. They actually try to prevent the second coming through the Antichrist and his armies. And again, I, I show you that simply just to understand on a geopolitical level, shalom cannot happen without this kind of hard work. Now, we bring it to our level. Here's the setting. The setting here is a false peace has ensued right before the tribulation and in the first part of the tribulation. But right when it starts out, it turns into war. And the world gets to the scene because of a series of pre-tribulational events. And they think that has finally satisfied world peace. For instance, the one world government will form. This is every secular person's dream come true, that a one world government would form with a one world currency and a one world religion. A religion that tolerates everything except biblical faith. And they say, finally, we've made it. We've got a one-world system for peace, one-world religion. What could we, else could we want? We finally found it. And then there's a series of attacks on Israel that deal a decisive blow to Islam. Let me show you that passage. Psalm 83. 
You got your little handout with you? It was in your bulletin. Notice on one side, it should say the church age. You see that in front of you? And on the other side, it will be the beginning of the tribulation. Okay. What I want you to notice on the church age side is the series of events all through here that must happen prior to the tribulation. You see all that? World War II, state of Israel's reborn, Jerusalem under Jewish control, Russian allied invasion of Israel. We probably think the Psalm 83 invasion is somewhere right before that. Psalm 83 invasion, if you study this, is an all-Arab invasion of Israel. It's not only all Arab, it's all Islamic, by the way. That would include Fatah, Hamas, Hezbollah, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, those kinds of countries, okay? They attack Israel, and Israel throttles them. I mean throttles them. Bad. And pretty much eliminates the Palestinians, pretty much eliminates Jordan for most part, pretty much eliminates most of Egypt, most of Syria, and most of Lebanon. This is like what's going on now. When you see prophecy videos, that's what this stage is setting for. What it does, though, is it eliminates most of the Islamic problem. Now, when you go to Gog and Magog, which will follow that, we believe, it is an all non-Arab invasion with Russia, Iran, probably Syria, Turkey, Lebanon, Sudan. It's a non-Arab coalition, but it's still Islamic And then after this invasion, God intervenes and destroys most of these armies, and there's pretty much nothing left. I want you to see the solution to the Islamic problem right in front of you. The solution to the Islamic problem is Psalm 83 and Gog of Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. When you effectively get rid of Islam in the Middle East, that will usher in the ability for the Antichrist to bring in world peace. What's standing in the way of world peace right now? I can tell you it's real simple. The Christians, us, but we'll be raptured and we'll be gone. And they'll say aliens took us and say, finally, the aliens took the bad people away. They needed to be taken away. And then Psalm 83 and Gog and Magog will take care of Islam. They'll finally say we have a one world government, one world religion, no more, no more Christianity as far as those Bible thumpers. We'll have the liberal Christians, yeah. No more Islam. Oh, we have finally achieved world peace. And hence, the Antichrist will take that seat at that point. So all that builds to this false sense of shalom. If you turn on the the back page of that handout that you got, it should be the first part of the tribulation. So we're at number two on your outline right now. So what's happened is, As you and I have been removed, Islam has been removed, and all these things have formed, it has given a false sense of security to the world, a false sense of shalom. And they finally rejoice at it, but like Paul said, (laughs) when this happens, know that sudden destruction is going to come upon them. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. Concerning the times and seasons, brother, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So for when they say peace and safety... They're saying it now. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. The peace and safety is this false sense of shalom that will will start because of all these events. But he goes, then sudden destruction comes upon them, talking about the war that's predicted here in Revelation and the rest of the tribulation. So they have 
I don't know how many years it could possibly last, maybe three to five years of this false shalom, and then it breaks apart really, really quickly, as Paul mentioned. Sudden destruction comes upon them. So how is this false peace established? Let me show you a few few bullet points real quick so you can kind of get a grip on it. There's many false fronts. There's four of them I want to show you. The first one is a Middle Eastern peace and security that is established because all of Israel's neighbors are gone. All the Muslims are, are, that would fight against Israel are gone because of these two invasions. Israel doesn't have any enemies anymore. So effectively, the Middle Eastern problem has been solved. And the Antichrist will usher in that peace. The second thing is a global government establishes a peace and security that is established, seemingly, because there'll be one organization controlling the whole planet. A global economic peace and security is established because there'll be one economic currency. There will not be the dollar. There won't be cash. There won't be anything. It'll be cashless. So they'll think peace and security has come from that. And then a global religious tolerance is established. No more Bible-thumping Christians and no more Islamo-fascists. We made it. We got it. That brings us then to the problem and to the book of Revelation. This false shalom gives them the idea we can have paradise without the creator. That's exactly what they wanted. They want the garden of Eden without God. That's what they're looking for. They want a millennial reign of Christ without Christ. They want heaven on earth without God, without God's will being done. And they'll think they have reached it. Now we jump into Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 3 through 4. That's the setting. That's the backdrop. So in verse 3, it says, When he had opened the second seal, and remember the seals are the, t- the these, this is the title deed to the earth that Messiah holds in his hands. He bought that by his, his shed blood, and he, he has the right as a kinsman and redeemer to eradicate evil from the planet as he gets ready to rule and reign. He has broken the first seal, which is the introduction of the Antichrist, and now he is breaking the second seal. And what does it say about the second seal? And I heard the second living creature saying, Come, see, another horse, fiery red, went out. Fiery red symbolizes war. Anytime you see fiery red, it's a war symbol. And this horse is a horse of war. It's probably some type of angelic creature. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And this is presumably an angel that's going to exact this seal judgment. Take what peace? This false peace that we've been talking about that the world thinks they have. This false shalom. He's going to take it away from them. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And so we have an image of some angelic creature on some angelic horse. They have horses in in heaven. Yes, they do, but they're not the kind of horses we have here. They're angelic horses. They're angels that look like horses. But anyway, the rider on there is a probably a, a t- one of the top-notch angels that can exact these judgments, and he's getting ready to do it, and he's going to allow the world to go to war and this false shalom to break up. So that's where we're at. This is the second seal, and so we have the principle. The principle is this. You cannot have shalom, real shalom, without the truth. It'll play itself out into they actually start killing one another. Hence, this is what we consider World War III. 
This is World War III right here. There'll be actually two more world wars. There's one at the middle of the tribulation, and the campaign of Armageddon is the third world war. So we've counted World War I, World War II. This will be World War III. We'll have World War IV and World War V, and then the invasion of Messiah coming into the, the land. It's a lot of blood, a lot of war. It doesn't say more than that. That's what it says will happen. They start going at each other. That's exactly what will happen in your marriage and in any relationship that if it's based on a false harmony, a false shalom. Well, we just want to get along at Christmas. We just don't want to fight. If it is based on that false shalom, it will disintegrate and you will figuratively start killing one another. You will go after each other's throat because it's the same principle on a national level as you see on an individual level because the truth is simply not there. That's why it disintegrates here. Now, you'll see this principle in Scripture, and I want to harp on this principle because it's extremely important, and you'll see it in the application. But this principle is all through Scripture. It's even in the Old Testament. I want you to see something that God says in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 says, the law of truth, notice what's first in the passage, was in his, he's talking about the tribe of Levi, and Malachi is getting on to the priestly class, okay? But I want you to notice the principle in the order. The law of truth, that's first, is in his mouth, talking about the tribe of Levi, the priestly group, and injustice was not found on his lips. So that eliminated injustice because he was following the truth. He, the tribe of Levi, walked with me in shalom and equity. He walked with me, and he was able to give equity to his brothers in Israel and turned many away from iniquity and actually had more people come out of iniquity and being an influence for righteousness. Do you see the pattern? I just want to show you the pattern. What comes first? Truth. And then that person walks with the Lord in harmony, and then equity starts coming out to the social arena, and he actually influences people for the Lord. That's the principle, okay? Whether national or individual, that's the principle right there. Now, watch the principle get applied to when Messiah comes. This is the next passage I want you to see in Luke. You know this is on Christmas cards, right? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, shalom. Among men, notice the catchphrase, because your cards, your Hallmark cards, will leave this phrase off. With whom his favor rests, or it could be translated, or with whom he is pleased. Here's the question. How do I get shalom, this peace that I'm looking for, how do I meet the condition? He says, whom his favor rests. How do I get favor from him and get this shalom? Is it about being really good? Is it trying real hard and being a nice guy? Is that what it's all about, earning your salvation? No. The condition to get favor, to get shalom, and you know this, this is simple. I'm going to walk you through this, is you've got to turn to Messiah. Look at this, and you know this. This is Bible 101. Jesus said to him, I am, it's a reference to Yahweh. There's seven I am's in the Bible with Jesus. The way, that's the derrick, the path, 
The path was cut off by the cherubs back to the garden, remember? God placed a cherub to guard the path, that you just couldn't go up and down the path because a cherub would prevent you from doing that to go back into the garden to eat from the tree of life. The path, Messiah is saying, I'm the path back. I'm the way back to Yahweh. The truth, emet, this is all Hebrew. The truth, by the way, the word emet in Hebrew has the beginning, middle, and end of the Hebrew letters, which means the totality of truth. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth personified. Remember what has to happen first. You have to have truth. And lachaim, I'm the life. Not only physical life, but spiritual life. Lachaim. And that's the condition that must be met. You have to believe the truth. Messiah is the truth. Now you know that. But you have to take the path. It's not enough just to simply know it. Let's go to the next passage. This is a woman who came to him with a bloody condition that couldn't get fixed, right? You remember this. And she touches him, and she's healed. And then basically he says this. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in shalom. Shalom. Go in harmony with me and you and with your other brothers and sisters. Shalom. What happened? She went to the path. She got the truth. And she got life. You see the order? She went down the path. She got the truth. And she she was given life. Not only physical life because she was healed, but she got spiritual life. You've been saved. Now, you know that. That's Bible 101. But again, follow me with this. That's what happens when you take the path. But what happens for those who don't take the path, who don't go to the truth and don't get the harmony? Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. Messiah is the gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. If you refuse to come to me for the truth, Messiah is saying, you will not get shalom. You get another product. You will destroy yourself. Because I'm the only one's lachaim. I'm the only one that can give you life physical life, eternal life, spiritual life. I'm the only one that can make you born again. But if you try to give yourself life, you will end up destroying yourself because you will live a lie. And I don't want you to live that way. And there are many who go by it. The majority of humanity will choose death, destruction for their own life. Because why? Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Another way you can say it, there's a, there are few who want this. Because they're so arrogant, they think they can earn their way to salvation. They want to bypass Lachaim, bypass the Derek, bypass all that, so they can be there in their filthy rags in front of God saying, I did it my way. And you're not making it. You're going to destroy yourself. Point of application, just a little bit before we move on. Believers can choose destruction too. Not in salvation terms. I'm not talking about that. Believers can choose to get off the derrick. What do you mean? It's not that they lose salvation. No, no, I'm not talking about that. Once you're saved, you're always saved if you truly were saved. But they get off the path, the derrick. You have to be on the path in order to live the abundant life in fellowship with Messiah, okay? 
He says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Even as you're a believer, if you get off the derrick, you will start destroying yourself. That's when you're off the path, the broad, you get on the broad road and you start actually destroying yourself somehow. And you'll do it. We all have done that. And you can start seeing how you start imploding. Be very, very careful not to get off the derrick. Stay on that narrow path with Messiah because it is difficult because you know why? You have to obey. And it's very difficult. But what happens then for those who take the path but those closest to them don't. Messiah talked about this. Do not think I have come to bring shalom. You didn't come. You're the prince of peace. Yeah, the prince of peace in Isaiah that I showed you is second coming. After war, after eradicating sin. The first coming is not about bringing peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The sword is a reference to the word of God. The word of God does what? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Oh, my land. Are you serious? Yeah, he was dead serious. Here's what happens. You're going to take the narrow path, and many of you have already done that, and you're on it, and you're obeying, and it's difficult, isn't it? But then you're going to look around and see who's with you, and you're going to find yourself alone. And you're like, where's uncle? Where's grandpa? Where's my cousin? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where are they? They're not on the path. They have not ever went on the derrick. They're on the broad road of destruction. They're out destroying themselves as we speak. Because Messiah said, look, you and I are going to have harmony if you get on the road. But that doesn't mean necessarily that those who don't get on the path are going to get harmony. Because they don't want harmony. They don't want shalom. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's true. And those of you who are experiencing this right now know exactly what Messiah is talking about. You got people in your family that absolutely abhor you. You got people in your family that cannot stand you because of the stands for truth you have taken. It's caused them problems. They would rather you enable them. They would rather you say, everything's going to be okay. You just keep doing what you're doing. We're still cool. That's what they want. And then they would say, oh, that's more like Jesus. Really? <laughs> not what I'm reading. That's not Jesus at all. That's a fake Jesus that you've made up that lets you do anything you want to do. But how about this? How about some application about this? This is a tough one, man. The first application you've got to realize is that we must accept the liability of truth. It divides. That's the liability. There's no guarantee that if you deal in the truth that everyone's going to like you. That you're going to be lovable. Oh, you're just a cuddly bear, and we just want to just love you so much. No, no, no. You'll be someone's thorn in their side. Guaranteed. You'll be someone's thorn in their side because you don't give up the ghost, so to speak. You keep at it, and you say, man, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong, blah, 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 blah. And you just keep at it. And there's a man, that dude's intolerant, man. He's, that's not Jesus. And they're not even Christians, and they'll say that to you, right? That's not Jesus. You have to understand the people around you are resisting the truth or they're in denial 
Or they're just simply not even taking it seriously. They're dismissive of you, but they're defensive and they're giving all kinds of reasons for what they do. And they're in protect mode and entitlement and all kinds of junk. You have to realize that baggage is with them. If someone simply wants the truth, they will lap it up like a beggar that's dying of thirst would lap up water. But because they're resisting that, they're resisting truth. And don't take it personal, they're resisting Jesus. Second point of application. We will not have peace in our families, our homes, or interpersonal relationships without the truth. Let me tell you about your marriage or any relationship that you have that you have invested in. What we want to do typically as humans, the way God created us, is we want to connect properly to people. We want to connect on a deep, intimate relationship. We want to be loved for who we are. We want this unconditional love that's at the heart of everybody that God has ever created. Now, God gives us that unconditional love, right? He loves us warts and all, right? But we want that love from other people. Do you know what the challenge is in that? Then that person has got to know all of you warts and all. You cannot have any locked closets. You can't have any skeletons you have hanging up. They all have to come out to the degree that you keep part of you back and lying about it is the degree that you will lack connectedness to individuals, maybe your spouse or whoever. If you're not fully honest, dishonesty will keep you disconnected. You have to realize that. So if you're holding something back from your spouse, you're not telling them the truth. Brother or sister, you're not connected. You're in a disconnected state and you're detached. And someone needs to tell you that. You have to start telling the truth. What are you doing? What has happened in your past? What are you currently doing? And where are you taking our family? What is your plans for the future? Most people, they don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about my past. I don't want to talk about right now how I feel. I don't want to talk where we're going with this then someone, whoever loves you, simply can't connect to you because you lack the bonding ability. The way you bond is you have to speak the truth. You have to be vulnerable. You have to say, this is me in all my ugliness. Do you still love me? You have to be willing to take that risk. And if you do, You will have the connection, that harmony, that shalom that we're looking for. But my friends, it's always with truth. It's always with truth. You start seeing people having family secrets, their own personal secrets, and everybody's got them. Every family's got them. You just celebrated Christmas. I guarantee you know there's family secrets, don't you? And no one wants to talk about them. And people are just saying, you know what, let's just sweep that under the rug. Let's just all try to get along. Let's pretend that grandpa's not like he is. Let's pretend Aunt Bertha hasn't been on drugs all of her life. Let's just pretend she's not on drugs. Let's pretend cousin Sally is not anorexic and bulimic. Let's just pretend that. I don't want to think that you're down to 5% body fat. There could be something wrong. Let's just pretend that she doesn't have issues. See, families start even realizing they have family lies family secrets, and you know what do they do? They pretend it doesn't exist. And everybody is disjointed, disconnected, and they pretend they're they're connected, but they're not. They really don't have any intimacy. And so they go away lonely. 
And do you know what happens when you're disconnected? When you're lonely? You'll start having compulsive behaviors. Guaranteed. Because how do you satisfy the pain of loneliness? Oh, I got to start mood altering. That's what you'll start doing. You'll start mood altering. How do you mean? Well, you'll do something that changes your mood. That could be working out excessively. That could be overeating, just binging on ding-dongs and ho-hos and Dr. Pepper or whatever that is. Binging on ice cream. It could be drugs or prescription, over-the-counter, doesn't matter. It could be sex. It could be sex addictions. It could be whatever. You will find some behavior to mood alter because you're so lonely from being disconnected, you'll do anything to kill the pain. You see what happens when you don't follow the truth, you lose connection, and then I get myself into sinful behavior because I'm not willing to be truthful. It starts with the truth. Jesus said something, and you know what it is. What did he say about the truth? It will set you free. If you do it, if you believe it, it'll set you free, but no one wants to do it because it's difficult, right? Third point of application. To be a loving and peaceful person, we have to be a truth-telling person. No, I'm talking about being a jerk, okay? I'm not talking about, because you could be a jerk with the truth and, and you won't have any relationships, okay? I'm just going to tell it like it is. No, you're just rude. That's all you are. Paul said, when you're talking about truth, you better sprinkle yourself with grace and salt. There better be some grace in there. There better be some salt. If you just give the naked truth to somebody, you will crush them. But truth is necessary, right? It's necessary. You have grace and truth. You got to have it. But you have to be a truth-telling person. Well, what do you mean by that? I am a truth-telling person. Are you? Let me give you some points. It is not unloving to tell the truth. That's a worldly idea that, oh, you're unloving if you tell people how it is. It is not loving to never address the issue, to never confront the sin or evil. That is not a loving thing. That is a dangerous thing. It is not patience, nor is it suffering for Jesus, to let people keep behaving badly. You're not going to get a reward for that one. And it is not Christian to keep enabling somebody. They call that codependence, but the Bible calls it sin. Let me show you how this works, just an illustration. If you see something, and Phil Haney said this about, about you know, Islam terrorists, if you see something, you have to say something. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You must say something. That was the whole point with Cain and Abel. You better say something. That's the loving thing to do. I'll give you an illustration. Two gals are sitting there. One gal has their older son with them, and the two gals are talking. And they say, you know, my son here, Trevor, I'm so proud of him. You know what he did? And she was talking to this other gal. And, and what did he do, Sally? Well, <clears throat> Trevor was invited to this party. And he's a teenager now, and he was invited to this teen party where there was going to be drinking and no adult supervision. And you know what my son did? He said, no, I'm not going to go. Isn't he a good boy? Isn't he wonderful? You know, he's my compliant one. He's my golden boy. He's my favorite. He's my one that does everything I tell him to do. 
Now, if you would have heard that, you immediately spot favoritism. You immediately spot there's all kinds of problems there. So the other gal hearing this, she said, Trevor, that was a good decision. That was the right thing to say. That was a good decision that you didn't go to that teen party where there was drinking there. And then Trevor went off and he did his own thing. And she says, hey, Sally, I want to tell you something. That's not the real best thing to do with your son. Because you just said he's your favorite. You just said that you wish all the other, kid, all the other siblings were like him because he's real compliant. And she says, you know, Sally, that's going to really damage him because he's going to have an internal conflict that he has to appease you and soothe your emotions. And eventually he's going to rail against that and become the bad kid because you're calling him the good kid because he wants his own identity. He doesn't want an identity attached to his mother. So you need to stop doing that. And you're showing favoritism to that one child. How do you think she reacted to that? Take a guess. How dare you tell me that? You don't tell me how to do that. Ba, 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 ba. I'm just telling you. She goes, I'm seeing it. You're favoring that one kid over the rest of them, and it's going to cause problems in your family. How many of you have seen favoritism in your family? Holy smokes. Keep all the arms down because everyone will say, I got it. It was as old as the Bible because that's what happened to Joseph, right? Now, I'm going off on a tangent, but saying, what's the point? Somebody is not dealing with the truth with their own child. Someone points out the truth to them, and they're resistant to the truth and said, get lost. Okay, but don't be shocked by the results you get when you're doing that. Because that will come back and bite you when they're 40. That's when they'll say, I never want to see you again. I don't want to deal with you, mom and dad. You, you have done that to me. You've done it to our siblings, and I'm not putting up with it anymore. And bye-bye. And how many times have I heard that? But again, it all comes back to truth. Are you dealing truthfully with the kids? That's just an example. Last point of application, we've got to get running. For connection to happen in relationships, people have to be told the truth so that they can be in reality. So you mean telling them the truth is not for me? No, not really, because if you're doing it for you, that's a selfish motive. The point of telling people the truth is to get them out of fantasy land with Mr. Rourke and Tattoo. Remember the show, Fantasy Island? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You remember they used to come on Thursday nights? You remember Fantasy Island? The plane, the plane, the plane. Oh, my land. Okay, these people are on Fantasy Island with Mr. Rourke and Tattoo. And you're trying to bring them off Fantasy Island and say, you got to get to the mainland, dude, because you're like cruising in another realm. You're like out of it. You need to get back into reality. That's the reason you're speaking truth to them, because the further you get away from the truth, the more in fantasy world you get. And that's what people are creating, a fantasy world around them. And they live in this bubble like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like out to lunch. I use the phrase checked out. Oh, my land, there's so many people checked out. You ever seen people checked out? I do. I see them all the time. And when I see that, they're in fantasy land because they're not dealing with the truth. So the point of truth is that you're trying to bring them into reality. And don't ever use truth to get revenge, to start controlling or anything like that. Because now you're manipulating people. You give the truth to help someone out. Let me show this picture. 
right before World War II. Do you know who this is? Obviously one. It's Hitler, right? And the other one is Neville Chamberlain. Mr. Spineless. Mr. Normoral Compass. Mr. Appeasement. Mr. Statesman that should have retired prior to dealing with Hitler. If you ever read Chamberlain and his dealings with Hitler in history, and let me show you the last thing, the last picture real quick. This is after the Munich Treaty with Chamberlain met for the final time with Hitler and said, we have peace for our time. And he held up that paper and Hitler had signed it. It was the Munich Agreement that they were going to give, you know, it was a a big thing over Czechoslovakia. And I'm not going to get into details, but here's the point. He comes back with this false sense of peace. He had just done a deal with the devil, Hitler. And by the way, if you read all the things, all the meetings before the Munich Treaty between Chamberlain and Hitler, Hitler was playing him like a fiddle. Oh, my land. How could the British government send this guy to do dealings with Hitler? Oh, my land. I mean, what? who thinks like that? Yikes. Appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. And Hitler, Hitler would fake things in the meeting. He would have his, his SS troops come into the meeting and say, they're killing more of our German sh- soldiers in Czechoslovakia. And he'd, say, he'd pound the desk and he'd say, we're going to eliminate every one of them. And he'd do that right in front of Chamberlain. It's all made up. It's all fake. And through the course of these negotiations, Chamberlain couldn't even see that he was being played, and Hitler was lying. He was doing all kinds of things, and he would go back on his word repeatedly, like many, many times. Chamberlain should have just cut off the deal and said, this guy can't, you can't even deal with. He's crazy. But Chamberlain went for it and bought in because you know what happened? Chamberlain, when you look at his personal life, would not deal with the truth. He was, he, it turned him into a pacifist. And he thought that appeasement was the best solution in how you deal with evil. Well, that is absolutely wrong. Where would he have got that you don't appease evil? You would have got that from knowing your Bible. That any time Israel was confronted with evil, what did God send them to do? You go in there and you take care of business. The Philistines are upon you. Attack! The Amorites are there. Attack! You don't let evil have the upper hand. You don't appease them because you can't deal with evil. They will trick you. They will lie to you. And so what happened? He comes back and they think, oh, he's such a great statesman. He has went down as one of the worst statesmen in history because he wouldn't deal with the truth and he let Hitler manipulate him and they sent them into World War II. And we had to go and rescue their necks. Right? Why? It's the same for you and I. They wanted peace without truth. They should have eliminated Hitler. They should have took him out. Same thing in our marriages, same thing in our our relationships. If you want harmony in your marriage, in your relationships, you've got to start dealing with the truth. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.